everybody loves free speech, but should there be some kind of limits on it? And if there should be, what limits should those be? We discuss this and more with special guest Davis Campbell on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for people who love to have fun thinking deeply. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, perpetual pontificator. And with me, as always, is my terrifically talkative co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and as you just heard from the other three things about me, someone who gets paid to say things. So uh, <laughs> this will be an interesting episode <laughs> for yes. me. Someone who pays his rent by saying things, which is a very precarious position to be in nowadays. Yes, yes, exactly. And also with us today is a very special guest. He is a lawyer and essayist with a bachelor's in politics, philosophy and economics from the King's College and a JD from Harvard Law. He has his own blog called Socrates and Friends, where he shares his thoughts on politics, philosophy, and religion, and lives with his family in the great state of New Jersey. He also is a very valued contributor to the Overthinker's Facebook page. He is the daring, the devious, the delightful Davis Campbell. Davis, welcome to the show. Thank you. I don't know if I can uh, live up to that introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, he's cool and stuff that you, you know, he went to Harvard, but the most important thing about you is that you're a valued member of the Overthinkers online community. So that's that's the really what I'm impressed with. I think you might be biased. <laughs> well, I have to say to everyone, like, you know, I uh, I went to the King's College also, as I love to remind everyone. Um, and uh, Davis and I, you know, we both graduated with politics, philosophy and economics. Um, he went on to to have a much more illustrious education experience at Harvard. But I remember taking classes with Davis and um, some of my favorite classes were with Davis getting to discuss, you know, all of the the great ideas and and uh, he's always one of the smartest people in the class from my experience. And so I've always wanted to uh, have a have a, a time to engage back again on the Overthinkers podcast. Everyone in that class right now who might be listening is just like, wow, that's <laughs> so mean. Wow. OK, you know what? You know what? Here's first of all. Wow. Wow. Uh- all right, I can't even. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the smartest person. In this yeah. Class. <laughs> uh, anyway, cool. All right. Well, so anyway, I'm really disguised, excited for this discussion on free speech. But um, first, Nathan, if people want to and like this discussion and want to engage further um, with other topics we might discuss or uh, engage more with fellow overthinkers like themselves, where can they go? They can go to the overthinkersjournal.com and they can find out more about their hosts and all the live events we have coming up and they can send us their love and hate mail there. They can also go to the online overthinkers community on Facebook where we have over 10,000 members and overthinkers just like you posting memes. It's, it's mostly memes, but getting into fun <laughs> discussions about those memes uh, and having fun thinking deeply. It's a private group on Facebook called The Overthinkers, so please join. And if you do enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving a review. It really does help us so very much. And share with a friend. Cool. Also, I do have to lampshade uh, us a little bit because I do realize we literally just did an episode about why we don't talk about politics. And our <laughs> next episode is discussing free speech. So we are definitely, it's we're definitely talking about the larger ideas around it more than the uh, partisan angles of it. But I do know that this is going to be the first thing people are going to think of. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we're going straight to politics. We didn't for two years. Now we're just exactly, diving in head yes. first. All right. Well, so now we'll get started on the discussion. So, free speech. It's one of the most well-known principles of American democracy and many democracies and American political identity. Most American children hear about the blessings of the right to, you know, freedom of speech from government restriction or interference from the time that they're born. According to History.com, the concept of free speech was first pioneered by the ancient Greeks, who used the word paresia. I'm sure I totally got that exactly right. Um, (laughs) Means free speech or to speak candidly. The first uh, term for it appeared in Greek literature around the end of the 5th century BC. The American founders codified one of the most robust and explicit protections of speech, free speech in the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights, which guarantees the right of to express ideas and information. On a basic level, it means people can express an opinion, even an unpopular or unsavory one, without the fear of government censorship. However, as most Americans discover growing up, defining what qualities 
qualifies as speech or where that speech may have a line where it can't go has been a constant battle in the courts. Most people know about the exception that you're not allowed to shout fire under crowded theater and anti-defamation laws and the controversies about whether pornography counts as free speech. Recent controversies have sparked more questions about the limits of free speech or even if the principle is valuable at all. Some, like the New York Times Magazine piece, The Problem with Free Speech in an Era of Disinformation, argues that in an era of internet misinformation that can cause real harm, some restrictions on free speech might be necessary. And pieces like The Times, Free Speech is Killing Us, and Free Speech is it Actually a Good Thing from Vox, argue that free speech is just an often another tool of oppression as liberation since the people with more cultural influence have bigger megaphones and can shout down and crowd out marginalized voices with theirs. On the other side, some have argued that merely restricting the government's ability to compel speech uh, or restrict speech isn't enough. With cultural trends like cancel culture, which we've talked about on this podcast, encouraging people to socially shun or remove livelihoods of people who disagree with them politically, and with tech companies like Twitter, Google, and Facebook being so big that, though they are private companies, any restrictions they place on freedom of speech on their platforms can be almost as harmful as government crackdowns on speech. So, Davis, do you think that free speech is a value? And if it is, what is its value? And where would you put the line of where it does more harm than good? So I definitely think free speech is a value. Um, and I think there are a few reasons why you would protect speech that, I mean, basically when you're talking about free speech, you're talking about protection for speech that's bad, right? Because everybody agrees the good speech should be allowed. Maybe we shouldn't allow the bad speech. But if you're talking about like, we should let people express opinions, it's implied like you mean the bad ones, right? <laughs> um, or the harmful ones or whatever. It's so I think everybody agrees there should be some limits, right? Like nobody, nobody thinks you should be allowed to make true threats. Or maybe, I don't know, there's probably people out there who think you should be able to make true threats. <laughs> but we generally agree you shouldn't be able to make true threats. Um, but in general, I think it's it's a good idea to keep kind of a wide range of what is permissible, um, as long as you're talking about the expression, basic expression of ideas. Okay. Because there are limits to what we can know. There are limits to our ability to know what is true, hmm. um, especially in times when there's a lot of uncertainty. So like if you short circuit the process of truth discovery um, and you decide like at the beginning of a public health crisis, this is what's true and this is what's false. And if you say what's false, we're not going to let you disseminate your ideas, right? That can short circuit the truth finding process. Um, so that's just one example. And we can talk about more examples because I think it varies a lot by context. Like you mentioned pornography, right? right. I apply, I think free speech principles should be applied very different to pornography than to like talking about what the right response is to the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. Okay, so so mm. so just just uh, to for for our listeners, this is this is a very interesting point that you're making, where you're talking about um, one of the arguments for free speech that actually doesn't get talked about a lot, and that you're making right here at the outset, is that um, we don't is that free speech is often the process of how we get to know things, because like you said, all every one of us you know has limited knowledge, and Often it's through the process of a whole, you know, country or whole culture arguing about what's true that we actually discern, actually discover what's true. You know, you have places in history where it's like, you know, you, some of the early things were about um, uh, in the country where we had court cases were, were about, oh, you know, um, whether or not, you know, we're arguing about socialism and communism and Nazism. And people were like, you know, should people be allowed to say socialist things or socialist ideas? Um, even though we're even though we're uh, fighting, you know, against the communists, like, is that OK? Um, and so part of this, if you don't at what you're saying is if at the beginning of something where you don't know what's true, if you short circuit that process and say only these people, these, you know, the accepted wisdom, then you don't actually get to um, discover what's actually true. That's sort of, you know, one of the arguments. When you also brought up something interesting, too, in the free speech that I, I guess I knew, but I hadn't thought and articulated in this particular way you said that when you were talking about what speech should be allowable, we're talking about free mm. speech. Of course, I, I hadn't thought about this. It, it, it's a great thought. 
we're talking about the speech that isn't nice, that not everyone likes, really. We're not yeah. talking about the speech of, should we ban saying, I'll have a ham sandwich? No, we're talking about <laughs> um, speech that is more instigatory in nature, that could cause people. And so that's what we're talking about, what speech should be allowed. And, and I really struggle with this, and especially around the cultural conversation um, when it comes to it, because I actually don't think it's an easy thing. You know, my, my personality would lend itself to just say, yeah, all speech should be free. And I'm, you know, I want my inclination is to just be a, a, a free speech. I think absolutist is what Elon Musk calls himself. Um, just that everyone should be able to say anything, but that's not practical, right? That actually, and it's not even necessarily safe. There are some good arguments to be made that if someone, like you said, if someone makes a true threat, if someone comes up to you and says, I'm going to cut your head off with a knife, you know, that shouldn't be allowed in, in public. I mean, that should actually have consequences. If someone comes up and threatens you with violence, that should be an arrestable offense. But as soon as that person is arrested, that means their free speech had consequence. And so anybody who says that free speech should just be totally allowed, probably there's a place or point in their life at which they don't actually believe that. If yeah. someone comes and threatens a family member of theirs and says, well, I believe in free speech, and you go up to one of their spouses and says, well, I'm going to kill your spouse, they probably would say, well, this person needs to be arrested before they right. kill my spouse. And so I think even with the free speech absolutists, which I wish I could be, to be honest, because yeah. I like free speech, I like freedom, I like uh, free will and people deciding what they say and what they do. But the reality is there is a line which most of us would draw now, where we draw this line, I think, is the problem because everyone has different places. So I think what we see now a lot is, well, this signals that which means that which means this, which is a threat, you know, down the line, which means you should be arrested for saying, you know, you like this movie right. because this movie has an actor in it who is et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's even like and I'm and this is not a, a slam on anybody, but it's just like in the uh, the book, the Antifa handbook. Like the one of the um, and again, I'm not picking on a particular side. This is this is the book I read where they explicitly make this argument. I think most people are okay if you slam Antifa. Okay, <laughs> but, but well, that makes you a fascist. Exactly. Yeah, true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we'll, we'll slam fascists in a second, guys. Exactly. We'll fascist, yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but is that they say, look, if these ideas spread, eventually that will lead to greater violence against yeah. our particular group. And therefore, they are committing violence against us. And therefore, we can punch them in the face. This is essentially the argument that, that they make. Um, exactly. And so my my argument, I guess, in the outset is I wish I was a free speech absolute. It's not, it's not an argument. My statement, <laughs> I don't think that anyone actually is, maybe there's three people, actually is a proponent of total free speech. And so that's where I start. And so where do we draw the line? Yeah. So I guess that's kind of where I'm trying to figure this out. So. So yeah, so so this is really interesting. So you gave one sort of argument about like why free speech is important. One is so it's knowledge discovery, and so it's knowledge yeah. discovery. And so I was like, maybe like what are maybe one or two other arguments, and then sort of we can talk about where we draw that line where it's no longer good anymore. So what are like a couple more that you would um, uh, that you would say for um, uh, reasons we need free speech? So this is kind of perfect. So that that you asked that question because. I wanted to bring in this kind of these sort of three theoretical underlying justifications for having free speech that I learned about in my first amendment class in law school. Um, and this is like the main thing I remember from that class. <laughs> cool. um, but uh, basically there are three basic justifications for free speech. First is civic republicanism. And that's sort of tied to the knowledge discovery, but all, but more deeply, it's about the fact that if you live in a place where the people are supposed to govern, mm -hmm. the people have to be able to talk about the issues, right? You need to mm -hmm. be able to engage in discourse with each other and determine what's best, what's what should be done. Um, and that's inevitably going to mean like, you're not going to be right 100% of the time. And certainly not every single person is going to be right 100% of the time. So as a people, if we're going to rule ourselves, we need to be able to discuss issues among ourselves. Um, and I think that to me, that's the most compelling justification to some degree tied to the knowledge discovery process, but also tied to the fact that each of us needs to be developed for self-rule, hmm. um, not both individually and collectively. Yeah. The second is 
the marketplace ideas of, of ideas, which is also sort of tied to the knowledge discovery process. But I think um, as it's articulated, it tends to go a little bit farther because it's not just that we might short circuit the process of discovering truth. It's that truth basically cannot be discovered, right? You can never be so confident that you know the truth that you can decide this idea shouldn't be expressed. Mm. The only, what we have committed our, what we have staked our government on is this idea that um, we can't know the truth well enough to, um, to decide what's true or false. We have to let the free marketplace of ideas work, its, work itself out. And then ultimately in a Darwinian process, the best ideas will rise to the top. Um, and this is not invented by Oliver Wendell Holmes, but like he's the first person I think to express this in a Supreme Court opinion. Hmm. Um, but it's funny because this is what a lot of us think of when we think of why we have free speech. It's the marketplace of ideas. You don't, you don't interfere with the marketplace um, because markets are good, especially if you are uh, sort of a conservative libertarian type. Um, and then the third, which is also tied to a Supreme Court case, Cohen versus California. This is the one that my professor cited at least. Um, and in that case, a man was charged with disturbing the peace or something, some, some, some statute like that, right? Disturbing the peace or something similar. And he was wearing a jacket that said F the draft on the back. And the Supreme Court said, well, you can't, you can't be convicted for disturbing the peace for wearing this jacket that says this profane thing because free speech. Um, and the idea was not just that you have to be able to express the idea, but you have to be able to express it the way you want to. Mm. Because fundamentally, it's like expressing yourself as part of what it is to be a human being, right? Mm. And if what's in your heart is F the draft, not the draft is bad, and I think it, we should stop it, um, then you should be able to say F the draft, right? Okay. Um, and and the, the line from that case that I think is a compelling summary of this rationale is one man's, it's like one man's vulgarity is another man's lyric, right? Like you can't, you can't judge the, the value of this mode of conveying the idea, gotcha. right? So, so, so the basic sort of arguments, one, what's interesting is that one is, is that, I mean, the first two are sort of like, it's sort of knowledge based is that we, you know, like you can't express bad ideas. Well, which ideas are bad? A lot of us disagree on that. And so, you know, who is, you know, it's skepticism that we can find anyone who has the authority to determine so completely which idea is bad that they can short circuit that person being able to express that. And the sort of, those are the first two. And then the third is that to a certain degree to be human is to be able to express ideas and express beliefs and express thoughts in a particular way. And if you do that, you almost in a sense short circuit their, um, the way that they're allowed to be human. The sort of, is that a, is that a, a compelling sort of way of, of summarizing those? Yeah, I'd say so. Except I don't know if I put, I don't know if I said the term for the third one, but my professor called this expressive individualism, which I yes. think is a good kind of label. Um, but I would, I would distinguish more between the civic Republican right. rationale and the marketplace of ideas rationale that the marketplace of ideas is kind of fundamentally committed to an epistemic relativism, sure. like that we can't know the truth. Whereas the civic yeah. Republican rationale is more like, we can know the truth. It's just, we need a process as a community to gotcha. arrive at the truth. Okay, gotcha. This is, I, one of the, I, I love all that. I think that's, um, I, th these, are, these are really clear and concise reasons for why we need free speech. And on a practical, I, I, this is not going to sound very um, intellectual. Sorry, everybody. I'm here to bring the, the everyman. You got to uh, represent in. the everyman. Yes. But, <laughs> but I guess the thing to me that I see in kind of what you're saying, that the reason we should actually have free speech is actually so terrible, destructive ideas actually are put into the public sphere and for for the very reason that they can be shot down yeah meaning if you have the ideas that aren't allowed to be in the public sphere aren't allowed to be expressed or articulated and if they can especially in the public sphere where they can be crit 
critiqued, criticized, and torn apart, then they're going to only be in spaces where they can grow without that critique, where they can grow without that um, uh, uh, th those public eyes that can say, no, this isn't right. That's not good. We shouldn't do this. So if you have all these ideas, but they're not allowed to be somewhere, even if they're terrible, destructive, uh, inherently evil ideas, if you don't allow those to exist in the public sphere, then that means they're never actually going to be subject to critique. And so one of my defenses of free speech is actually e even terrible, even even evil free speech, is that when you put free speech out there, when you when you have a statement, let's say that that's wrong on its face, it's just completely wrong and evil, let's say, but it's allowed to be out there. That means it's also allowed to be critiqued and held accountable and talked about. If you don't, then that's just going to be grow in this um a hidden place and it's never actually going to be destroyed because it'll never be challenged. And so that's one of my biggest um, uh, reasons why I support people being able to say things so other people can criticize it. And that, yeah. that that's an interesting thing that's happening with Twitter right now. And I, I re be remiss if we didn't mention kind of the, the craziness that's going on with Twitter, right? So, you know, during the past few years, you have Twitter being run by essentially kind of one ideological view and you have and you see pretty consistently a lot of people from the opposite ideological view um, talk and claim that their their speech is being thwarted. Now, I typically say, hey, well, it's a private business. And well, no, 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 what, what it is, it's a private business. And um, everyone was fine uh, on one particular side. And all of a sudden you have a guy who buys it, who looks at least like he maybe not be as sympathetic to your side. And all of a sudden. You see the other side talking about how important free speech is and how they're worried that free speech is going to fail. And so to me, oftentimes free speech just seems to be this thing that no one actually believes in, but we just use it as a bludgeon for the other side to make sure that they can't get away with saying things we don't like. And the way I'd re respond to that is no, have the other people say the things you don't like, because that's the only way they'll ever be held accountable, challenged or critiqued. It, um, it is an interesting thing. I mean, you've noticed, I mean, there's a New York Times article about this, about how how back sort of when they didn't have as much power, you know, the the left side sort of, of of the culture was were the big free speech warriors. And then once they sort of gained sort of cultural power, then the right started being free speech warriors. <laughs> and it really is just whoever doesn't have power is pro-free speech. And whoever does have power is every speech. Which to me, and so there's a there's a comedian called um um what was it? Akash Singh. Uh, who who made this sort of joke that you're kind of making, Nathan, in a more funny way. She says, I don't, he says, I want white people to speak as much as they want, because if they don't, then they bottle it up and then go into a voting booth, booth for four years. You know, so like, I want them to, so there's like, they need to be, it needs to be out in the open so it's not all hidden. Um, I will say that, you know, the, this is sort of my big thing. I've always talked about free speech, my pro-free speech kind of side of it, um, my which is that, um, the only people who can um, control free speech are the people who have power, which is exactly the only people you don't want to be uh, controlling what is said. Um, and so that is sort of the part of me that, like you, Nathan, kind of gets into being a free speech absolutist. However, and so this is where we get to the other part of it, you know, I, you know, I, as a big fan of Winston Churchill, he has a phrase, which is, you know, um, lies can get all the way around the world um, before truth has a chance to get, you know, put its pants on. Honey, where are my pants? <laughs> and, you know, to a certain degree, so the marketplace of ideas and certain things like that, there is an argument to be made that, you know, the idea that, so this is where a lot of critiques of free speech in the modern time have come from, that the idea that if you just Darwinianly have ideas, you know, fight each other, that the most correct ones will come out on top is to an optimistic view of of freedom of speech. So, um, is it where where do we get that assumption that truth is going to be more you know persuasive ultimately than lies? Um, so I guess I would say, so Davis, sort of put it to you, like because you you talked about true threats and 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 uh, and pornography, but then also like so where so if if the where, what do you find is if the purpose of, of speech is to allow people to be human and for a knowledge process, where does free speech become harmful and where is it justified to put limits on it that don't, you know, prevent us from having the good things, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is partially a cop out. 
I'll just stay <laughs> before giving my answer. But in general, I think there should be some leeway to draw lines, even unprincipled lines, and just see how it works and what see what works and what doesn't work. And I think mm. that's part of what's great about having so much public discourse happening on platforms like Twitter and Facebook that are privately owned and that can kind of do their own thing. They're not bound by the First Amendment. They don't have to follow whatever the Supreme Court said in such and such a free speech case. Um, they can see what's working and what's not working. And, you know, it might be a dramatic failure or it might be a dramatic success. Um, in general, there's a lot of ways in which I think the, the, the Supreme Court's free speech jurisprudence is too permissive. Um, and particularly, one place I would draw a line between like stuff that should generally be free and stuff that should be subject to more regulation is like the difference between expression and other stuff that you're doing with your speech. So that's an example of a true threat, right? When you're saying, when you're making a true threat, you're, you're expressing yourself. Yeah. But you're expressing your intent to hmm. do something unlawful. Um, and that's why even, you know, the most, stringent free speech test we've got where um it's the it's the test for incitement from brandenburg versus ohio um and the way the supreme court put it there was basically to to for for speech to be incitement it has to be intended to and likely to promote imminent lawless action so like that that's pretty narrow right you have yeah. to be like let's go i don't know Let's go beat that guy up right now. Yeah. Let's go beat that guy up like <laughs> sometime in the future. Doesn't seem to qualify, you know? Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty loose. Um, but the, the line between expression and other stuff that you're doing that maybe has like a speech kind of component, I think is kind of useful um, mm. and is one that I would generally adhere to. So that helps with threats, helps with pornography, which fundamentally I don't think should be protected by the First Amendment at all. Mm. Um, and I would ban 100% of it. Um, live strip club type stuff. You know, this is insane to me. Like the Supreme Court has kind of like come up with some narrow ways to let, to let localities regulate strip clubs. But I'm just like, you should just be able to ban them 100%. Like, mm. come on, that's, that's not a free speech issue. Um, Okay, so, so, so this is just just before you continue. It's also yeah. literally not a speech issue. I've always thought that was interesting too. It's that we can talk about that. It doesn't seem to fit within this conversation to me. That's always a weird right, thing right. to bring in. That's that's a good that's a good point. So this so this is um uh, uh just so that people understand we're talking about the you know there's speech as in a sense an end which is we get to talk about things. And or even speech as a means to expressing and sharing ideas and discussion. But then there is just speech is really just a means to do something else and that something else can be legal. And so if you're, you know, so it's like, yeah, murder is not legal. So, you know, and most of us don't think it should be. Um, so if you are saying you are doing using speech as a method of getting someone you know killed then that can be illegal. And so that, in a sense, is where at least one place where you're saying we should draw a line, where speech as a means well, to do something that is that we think should be illegal should be illegal. Well, I think that's a really good differentiation you made, Davis, which is there's a difference between expressing yourself by saying something true about what you believe, by asserting your opinion, by saying uh, your thoughts. That, that is totally legal. Basically, you can say, I believe murder is good and you should not be arrested. But if you say, I'm going to murder you right now, you'll be arrested because those are two different things. One is the expression of the self, the individual, what you believe. And one is an expression about an action you are going to be taking on another individual or another thing. Or um, even so those are two different boss, statements. Even if you're a mob boss saying, hey, I want you to go do this. Again, yes. You know. So, but you can express all day long what you believe, no matter how messed up or wrong or evil, you can express a self-expression of what you believe all day long. That does not count. It's only when it actually involves, and like you said, intent and an imminent intent and, um, and threat that it crosses this line to, it's a precursor to action. 
And then pornography, it's like, that's not like speech that is, you know, something else. It is, it is, it is not expressing, it is doing something. Um, mm-hmm. That's not expressing ideas about what we should do. It's doing something. So that's where you would draw the line between like something like pornography or strip clubs and freedom of speech. Am I getting well, I that also right? want to oh. say real quick, you know, we talk about it because again, I really want to be a free speech absolutist. <laughs> like, but I also, you know, my personality leans towards just total, let anyone do what it's a do no harm. Let anyone do whatever they want. Just don't bother me. The first rule of being a ninja is do no harm. Unless you mean to do harm, then do lots of harm. And that works in theory, but it doesn't work in reality. Like, really, if you look at it, I wish, I wish it did, but it just simply typically doesn't at least take into an extreme, meaning, um, you know, we, we can say all day long uh, um, to live in a society. We all say, yes, we should live in a free society. Yet we follow rules every day. We don't get to walk in someone else's home and take something out of their home. And we could say, well, you're squelching my freedom by not allowing me to live freely and make my own decisions every day. Oh, I, I want to walk down the street and hit people in the face. No, in a society, there are limits on our technically there are limits on our freedom, right? What we can and cannot do. And those limits are dictated by what will get us put in jail or not. And so I don't, and, but we still want to maximize the amount of free will you have. And so I think it's, it's hard to draw a line, but it should be a direction. I think that freedom is the direction in either speech or action or law or society, but to have a society, there need to be places we say, we can't do that. We don't do that here. You can't yeah, walk I mean, into someone's houses or hitting them in the face or, you know, whatever it might be. There are the classic re- line. And, and I don't remember who said it. You might, Davis, um, because you have a more slightly more encyclopedic memory than I do. But it's, you know, um, my right to swing my fist stops at your face. Um, the problem is, of course, that when it comes to speech and expression, sometimes those lines are really hard, hard to draw. Yeah. So we talked about one place. So one way of, of creating a line for freedom of speech. Um, but sometimes those those are a bit tricky because again, we talk about misinformation and lies getting spread around that can cause real harm in that way. And so people are like, oh my gosh, we're seeing a lot of, you know, uh, we're seeing a lot of lies spreading. Is there a way to stop that that can um, uh, that that uh, can stop that? Um, we see also, again, you know, freedom of expression, you know, uh, you know, so there are ways that ideas can also be harmful um, even if they are, do fall into free speech. We also have, again, Supreme Court cases that say, you know, corporations giving money to places is freedom of speech. And mm. uh, like with Citizens United, and so it's like, okay, you know, it, does that fall under, well, that's not speech, that's doing something else with your speech. But then, you know, you can say, you can say almost anything is I'm expressing myself because I want this political result. Like, you know, so that's- Do lies count as freedom of speech? Especially yeah, lies so, so I guess someone killed? Yeah. So I guess it's like, so are there other places where you would draw lines on freedom of speech um, and how would you do them? Like, in other words, I'll give you an example and we'll use this, I guess, a little bit. If there was a doctor who said drinking Drano will make you lose weight, obviously that's going to kill people and they're not going to lose weight. Um, And that's uh, a lie that could actually have real world effects. Should that be protected because it's not a threat it's not imminent he's just saying something he believes but he's also saying from a place of authority but it's also something that could get people killed so what do you do with that yeah so i definitely think the easiest line for me to draw is the line between expression and other stuff like if you're targeting targeting speech because of the idea that it expresses that's easy to say you shouldn't do that versus if you're targeting speech because it's pornographic like Mm -hmm. That, that, that to me is intuitive how you would do that, even if sometimes it requires some unprincipled line drawing that not everybody can can agree with. When it comes to like lies and misinformation, maybe again, that just requires some unprincipled line drawing. Like, I don't know if I have a clear principle that uh, allows me to say, yeah, doctor saying you should drink Drano, that's, that can be suppressed versus like something that's more contested. Because you can always find somebody to contest anything Mm -hmm. Um, it might have to do with the imminency of the threat, like people drinking Drano is obviously going to be very bad for them in an immediate and obvious way that I think everybody should be able to agree on. But then like, you know, whether the COVID-19 pandemic started in a lab 
doesn't have quite the same like imminence like well if people are misinformed about that what what is immediately going to happen if people are wrong you know wrong because we still we still don't really know right but like if we did know and we knew that it was wrong to say it came out of a lab what would the consequences be so i think you need to kind of balance the magnitude and likelihood of harm and the certainty that we think we have um, and we should always be kind of humble about how certain we are generally i think in principle the idea of controlling misinformation makes some sense at a basic level because you don't want doctors saying you should drink drano to lose weight but the topics nowadays that it's typically applied to are topics that i don't think should be applied to because it well, sure. I mean, you have, you, it, you know, I mean, one of the things that I'm sort of disappointed in a lot of the articles that I think are making some really interesting points about the weaknesses of freedom of speech when they talk about misinformation. One of the things I think is a is a problem is that they don't often address the other side of it, which is that they assume that the people in authority are going to be spreading the truth, <laughs> which, you know, or are going to be only clamping down on, you know, on uh, on bad speech, you know. Whereas like, cause you're right. It's like, yeah, I mean, some things that, I mean, let's take a past example to be less controversial. You know, we had the government telling us, you know, what foods were healthy for us, you know, back, you know, that we all saw the pyramid, you know, we all had the pyramid of like, you know, you should eat more carbs and you should have, you know, here's where it should be. And of course that was done in conjunction with lobbyists and everything else. And like, but this was the official thing that the government was saying you should do. So it's like, you know, and if somebody, you know, countered that, that would technically be at that point misinformation. And it's like, but it turned out that that was a lie and that'd be true. And so it's always tricky. It's like, okay, you can have an official authority clamping down on misinformation, but they could just as easily be the ones spreading it in, you know, because that has happened. And have been before. throughout history a few has times. Right. Well, and, exactly. and I'll say, this will be the last thing I say and I'll, and I'll let you guys wrap up. But one of the things I'm noticing here in this talk about free speech is, you know, here's the overthinkers that if you've been listening long enough, you know, we tend away from extremism that Joseph and I, uh, maybe to a fault, <laughs> we, <laughs> we tend towards uh, non-extremism and we, we typically try to find this tension. And I guess I entered this conversation thinking about, OK, there's got to be a clear answer, either all free speech or everything has to be, um, you know, clamped down and pre-approved. And it's either one way or the other. One way or another. And what I see in both of these extreme positions, be, the, be it the free speech absolutists or the you can only say something that's been pre-approved by the, this, uh, this, uh, these certain amount of people, right. is that really what we need to continue doing when it comes to free speech is having these discussions, which I guess would be fall under free speech. But, that me but I think there's a tension here, and I don't think it's something easily figured out. I don't think it's found in either of the extreme positions, either total overlord um, dictation or just say whatever you want to. I think that to have a, a healthy society, to have a healthy people, we need this conversation to be nuanced. I hate saying that, I know that's overused, nuanced conversations, <laughs> but it needs to be this kind of tension-filled um, conversation that that ha has continuancy throughout our, uh, our, our lives and our society. And that's the only way it's actually gonna continue work. You need both sides to kind of keep on pulling on the edge, on the different ends of this rope so we can still we edge towards freedom, but we also have um, restraints. And you and without both of those um, those those poles, I think we're going to end up in extremism. And on one side or the other, I think you will find a lot of danger. I think if you end up on the side of everything needs to be pre-approved, you're you're going to um, oppress truth. You're going to make it so we don't discover truth. You're going to make it so people's expression can't be filled. You're going to make it much more easy for people to be controlled and for dictators to take over. But I also think if you go total free speech, then you'll actually have just straight up anarchy where people are can say whatever they want to, and that will have a really detrimental effect on a lot of people. And so I think really about this, we need this back and forth mm -hmm. um, dialogue to continue. And that's really the only way and that's not fun. We want an absolutist answer, right? But I think that, to me, the answer is in continuing the dialogue forever about free speech, if you want to have a healthy society. So that's Nathan out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say one thing before I, I kind of give it to, to Davis to sort of wrap us up, is that one of the things I said, think you said that was fascinating, Davis, is that in conjunct, sort of, you know, to go off of what Nathan said, one of the places that's really cool that we're having this discussion is in private 
spaces where, you know, you know, sure, we may complain, you know, for a lot of good reasons about how, uh, you know, Twitter or Facebook or, you know, are trying to draw those lines of where what's free speech, but they're private entities doing that. And there are a bunch of them who are kind of working out that line and through the private entities or, you know, things like working out that line, we're actually getting to see in real time in a less dangerous way than that the government did it. Um, what the best line for a flourishing society for free speech we're getting. And so that's actually, in a sense for me, even though I think, you know, these are, discussions are important and sometimes when people say, hey, this is a big problem about big tech, they're right. I think the fact that we've moved to a smaller scale place to have these discussions um, in a, uh, is is actually a really good thing. Um, uh, and so I was glad you pointed that out, Davis. Um, so now I would say, what would be the, for anybody who's in this discussion, um, what is something about this we haven't talked about yet that you'd want people to um, understand or to think about if they were going to have a serious discussion about free speech that we haven't talked about yet on the show? Well, I don't know. One idea one idea I had kind of related to the case I talked about, Cohen versus California with the F the draft jacket, is um, I think it is kind of often assumed, particularly in America, that part of free expression and free speech is the right to be disrespectful and vulgar hmm. um and not not just to express your ideas like the government is bad or something but to do it in a vulgar way you know people like there there's a guy down my street it's, it's, it's like one guy on my street that's got a giant let's go brandon flag on his house hmm. um and you know i'm not i'm not advocating that government suppress those kinds of those kinds of things but I think it is an implication of the line drawing exercise that I was talking about earlier between expression and other stuff. Like, is the expression of the idea so wrapped up with the vulgarity and the mm. kind of toxic disrespect, or can they be treated differently? I think in our current political culture, basically everybody's like, no, I need to be able to say, F this politician, F that politician. That's part of my free speech. It's my birthright as an American. Um, like we're, we don't have a king, hmm. but I, I do wonder the extent to which our, our kind of institutions should promote respect hmm. for our political institutions. And obviously the first way they can do that is by being worthy of it. But, <laughs> um, I think it's a better, I think we have a less awful political culture maybe if there were stronger norms against, you know, being like F this politician, F that mm. politician, public vulgarity, which is not like, you know, I said the Lex, I mentioned the let's go Brandon flag, but it's not, it's obviously not localized on one side. No. Yeah. Yeah. And in a sort of related way, I don't think the federal government should be saying you have to be respectful of the Supreme court or the president or whatever. But I do think that you know, this is like the principle of subsidiarity, which, mm. which, which you and I, <laughs> very well from our, our study yes <laughs> um but basically like we've got multiple kind of levels of government right there's the federal government there's state governments there's local governments and even beyond that we have private institutions that engage in certain kinds of governing as well so twitter governs the speech that's able to happen on its platform facebook mm -hmm. governs the speech that's able to happen on its platform i govern the speech that my children are allowed to engage in in my house um and all these kind of lower level rulers i think do have some responsibility to maybe regulate speech in a way that we don't want the government to hmm. um, which isn't to say that you know twitter should be heavy-handed and become an ideological monoculture but i do think it's good that somebody is kind of in charge maybe it's not good for twitter to be in charge of as much speech as it is but like if, if we don't want the regulation to be happening at the federal or state or local government level, maybe it's good for us to have these platforms to do some of the governing themselves. Um, and it's certainly good for me as, as the father of my household to set <laughs> those rules and to promote respect for authority, including my own and my wife's and respect for our kind of civic institutions, even if that doesn't necessarily mean that I, speak positively about every single politician um i think that that is that is warranted that's a little disorganized but 
No, I think that's, that's, I think that's wonderful. I think that's an excellent point that oftentimes as Americans, we do, you know, there's the, the, what do you call it in a Paul talks about like everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And it's like, we think about, yes, you have the right. We start out by saying you have the right to say awful things, but that doesn't because that's, we need to have that protection in place, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is a good thing as a norm to do that we should aspire to and some kind of, you know, at least lower level governing to make us a society that has better speech than uh, office speech is a good thing. I think that makes total well, And sense. we've seen this played out a little bit. I said I was out and I wasn't going to talk anymore, but I <laughs> Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> but we've seen this played out uh, outside of the legal realm. We've seen this played out in cancel culture, which is basically a social reckoning with people we think said or did something wrong and it's they're not necessarily being arrested for a lot of these things that they've been shown to do and then and especially if it's just what they said they're not being arrested or, or facing legal consequences typically very often they're just facing social consequences so we we've almost invented this social court by which we can um uh, sentence people to you are no longer allowed to be an actor or to be a voice or to be a you know so which is an interesting thing and we've talked about this before and we will again about cancel culture but there is kind of outside of the political and legal realm there is a entity now though i don't know that we've seen at least like this before i think it's i think it is partly a development in response to the strong protection legal protections of free speech you know, sort yeah. of developed is like, well, they're not going to do it. We, there has to be, like you said, some institutions or norms by which we do that. We're kind of all jury members on this, who gets to right. stay here and who doesn't, which is really interesting. But if we're not careful, it can turn into the high school lunchroom where everyone gets voted off the, uh, <laughs> they have the popular kids and the not popular kids, but it's interesting. But yeah, yeah, cool. I think that will always be with us. We'll always try to find yeah. a way. Cause we have to have that line. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Davis. This was really, really cool. Um, now we move on to our blesses and curses segment where we take a work of art, media or resource that fits in with our uh, topic and uh, we uh, uh, either bless it, say you should engage with it, or curse it, say you should not engage with it. Um, so uh, we uh, do. Nathan, do you do you know what yours are going to be yet? Have you figured this out? <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, well, how do you go last? I'll, I'll, okay, I'll, if, I'll, you're going to save the worst for last. I promise <laughs> okay, you, you do that. <laughs> okay. um, maybe one of us will inspire you. And I want to inspire you. Um, okay. Uh, Davis, would you like to go first? I, I, or, uh, yeah, cool. Sure, yeah. Um, so one resource that I like a lot is a blog called The Volok Conspiracy. It's written by a bunch of law professors. Volok is V-O-L-O-K-H. So it's uh, run by, I think it was started by this law professor, Eugene Volok, and I think he's a professor at UCLA. Um, and his kind of area focus is free speech. He has other law professors come on and write posts on other topics, but a lot of a lot of it kind of is, is geared towards free speech. Um, he's got some interesting takes. Like I think he, I think he uh, disagrees with Citizens United, okay. maybe because money isn't speech. Sure. Um, so, but generally, he's more on the on the pro free speech side, construed. Just you would construe speech right, yeah, yeah. a little bit differently than some people. Um, it's on reason.com, which is a libertarian website, okay. which maybe tells you a little bit about like where where they generally come from. <laughs> um, but still, it's like if you want to engage in this discussion and think deeply with you know actual lawyers and scholars and stuff like that, that's not a bad. That's a good, that's a great reason. Yes. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not a libertarian, and I like it. So it's, it's nice. <laughs> that's that's a story review. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's my blessing. My curse, um, I, I didn't initially have one, but I guess I'll just say Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. I just think he's very overrated. Whoa, yeah. Whoa shots fired. Hey, so like I mentioned send before, your to Davis, not us. We didn't <laughs> say it. <laughs> but I, I, having gone through some of the same classes as you, I get it. You know. <laughs> yeah. Why would you curse him specifically? Very overrated. Like he's generally considered to be like this great, amazing justice and is kind of lionized. Like there's big portraits of him at Harvard Law School. But like, I don't know. You read his opinions, a lot of the time he doesn't 
really defend what he says. He just kind of like makes stuff up because he's like, I don't know, a genius or something. Yeah. Um, and the marketplace of ideas kind of being introduced to the First Amendment, I don't think that kind of relativistic um, justification should be, um, should play as strong of a role in yeah. our understanding of free speech. Um, yeah. Sort of related anecdote. It's, it's said that um, he had a desk that he would stand at. He had like a standing desk when he would write his opinions because, you know, back in the day, you had to handwrite all of your legal opinions. Um, and the length of his opinions would be dictated by how long he could stand at his desk. <laughs> so he would like stand at his desk and write an opinion. And, and when he was, it was, he was done, he was done basically when he couldn't stand there anymore. I don't know if that's true. Just for any uh, misinformation hawks out there. I don't know if it's true, <laughs> but it's something I heard at Harvard Law School. So it might be true. I, I have to say, like, as we talked about, and we've actually talked about this a lot in this episode, that's a good way to uh, curse somebody is because, you know, even if you, we're, we're here at the Overthinkers are really big into, you know, the process of how you get somewhere is just as important as where you get to. And, yes. you know, even if you agree with a lot of Oliver Wendell Holmes's opinions that he, you know, the way he came down on things, he did sort of was like, let me invent my own legal and political philosophy morality, because I think all of the old stuff is, you know, bad. So, like, I'm just going to make it up. And his process of getting there is very lazy, in my opinion, based on what a little stuff I've done. So, yeah, that's a I think cursing him for that, I think, in this in this um, environment, I think, is you'll, you'll get a lot of. uh uh, agreement there okay cool um so bless the curses so i am going to bless a uh i'm gonna bless a movie called thank you for smoking um which is a really fun sat political satire that i think people are going to come into two camps on it there are gonna be some people who say it's too offensive and other people who say it's not offensive enough but it's you know about a charming and sort of well-meaning but very um uh, very eyes wide open um, a lobbyist for the big tobacco industry and a lot of it is centered around him defending as sorry because he, he's basically you know the villain of every other movie is the hero of this movie and him defending um, why his ability to argue in favor of big tobacco is what's great about America and a great about American system and why it should be cherished and, and applauded what he does and they, through the movie, they they make that case in a way that doesn't make you like maybe agree with what he does, but makes you realize that maybe he is a necessary, maybe the fact that we live in a country where he can be allowed is a good thing. And that oftentimes the people who are against him, who are like actually wanting to do violence against him in order to stop him from doing it, are maybe even worse villains um, than him. And so like that engaging in that, but it doesn't tell you what to think about. It does just sort of try to shock, say like, okay, well, what do you actually think about this? And so I think that that's an example of, I wish that more movies were trying to shock us in that way than in the sort of pornographic, you know, violence way, uh, because that's what actually like free speech and engaging ideas is supposed to be the way we're supposed to be offended and shocked. Um, so I like, I like that movie for that reason. Um, it's not for kids. It's definitely rated R for a reason um, in its own way. So, um, but uh, then I think I will curse um i'm gonna curse uh because nathan reminded me we hadn't done this yet um uh, i'm gonna curse specifically god's not dead too <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the reason is because i think it does it does one of the things we talked about which is that it does conflate um the problems of free speech because again it's about it's like about a teacher that like tries to talk about jesus in the classroom and then is you know put to taken to court for it and it's it does lie to people about what the discussions about free speech and freedom of expression that are actually being had are about and makes it again, the Christian persecution complex. And it's all about that. And it's like, well, no, the discussions of free speech that we're having, you know, you can agree with them or disagree with them, but they are different discussions. And so I think, again, one of the things that, you know, um, God's not dead has, and the whole franchise has done in this episode in particular has been, it's like, you know, there are great discussions to be had about this, but you're lying to people about what those discussions are. And so that's a really harmful for our, that is a, that is a misinformation that is harmful for the continued discussion of this topic. So I'm cursing it for that reason. Nice. Okay. I did think of some blesses um, and they're, they're totally cliche, but I, I like them. I, I, I got a bless Fahrenheit 451. 
ah. I know cliche, but it's one of my favorite books. I just one on just a literary level. It's beautifully constructed. When I first read it, I thought it was just going to be an interesting concept. But on just the artistic execution of the book, it's absolutely uh, beautiful, just the way he weaves words together. Um, but also uh, just fantastic book, especially on this subject. Go read it. It's a classic, um, especially for this time. I think it will at least illuminate a lot of these ideas that we're talking about when it comes to speech and what is allowed and what is not and uh, where those lines are. But yeah, I love Fahrenheit 451. Um, I also, uh, you know, I, I think a good starting place for, you know, a lot of things we talk about here and just in, in culture in general about these deeper subjects on thought and truth and epistemology, they kind of, a lot of them started, at least in the form that we taught in ancient Greece. And so I do think you should go back and read Plato and Aristotle and all, all the guys. Um, but that can be a scary thing, especially for people who don't have lots of time and are just diving in for the first uh, first time. So one place I suggest you start is the Apology by Plato about mm. Socrates. And I just think it's, it's short. It's readable. I mean, it's very short. I don't know, it's like 60 pages or something. But it's a great place to start to start engaging with some of these ideas and talking. You know, I mean, look at, you know, Socrates, if you want to talk about the the dangers of free speech being uh, being uh, oppressed. Youth. Yeah, <laughs> I always had an affinity for Socrates because he was my same, apparently my same union uh, MBTI arc uh, personality <laughs> type. So I have to like the ENTPs. But I think it's a great place to start. And it talks about these things in a very entertaining, believe it or not, way. It's short and it's a great place to dive in to some, to kind of the beginning where a lot of these things um, kind of began to be talked about. Um, so definitely by Plato, the apology. Um, I was going to bless... Um, something else that I that has just escaped my mind, but those are two pretty good ones. Uh, for curse, um, it, on the on the topic of like kind of classic dystopian, I'm gonna curse Animal Farm, and not for any, <laughs> oh, not for any like, oh no, no. See, I, I, everyone's gonna get excited. I just don't like it. I don't like his writing. So it's not for any ideological or conceptual reasons. It's a fine concept. Yes, yes. I like the you know, the quote is good. Some of us more equal than others, but I just don't enjoy it. Uh, I just didn't enjoy my read of it. And I, again, this was like years and years and years ago, okay. but I just remember going, eh, because it'd been so built up and I was a teenager and it's like, yeah, I'm going to read Animal Farm. And it's like, meh, wasn't that fun or interesting? So I guess it's my artist and writer talking. I just don't like the writing. What's so funny is that C.S. Lewis, he read 1984 and Animal Farm. He said he hated 1984, but he loved Animal Farm. Oh, well, so, shoot. Now I have to change my opinion because I do love C.S. <laughs> Lewis. No, you don't. No, no, no. You disagree with C.S. Yeah. Lewis and that's okay. So, yeah, that's that's true. Okay. I have one thing. That's good. Um, so that'll be my end. I guess I'll just, yeah, I, I guess that's it. So I bless some classics, but um, yeah, this has been fun. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, um, Davis, thank you so much for being on our show. Um, I don't know how active you are like on social media or if you have things to promote, but if, if do you, is, do you have stuff you want to promote or do you, if well, you are a lawyer, Davis. So if you want people to, to uh, hire you to represent them, I mean, this is the place. Yeah, where, where should, yeah. where should they go to hire you for, to, to try their cases? Yeah. I think for ethical reasons, I have to be careful about that. Um, <laughs> oh, shoot. But, yeah. All these ethics getting in the way. If you Google me, you can probably find me. Perfect. Right. I, will say, I will say I work for a large law firm and and we're expensive. So Fair. if you have the kind of money that so could, for all of know. our multi-million dollar conglomerate owning uh, uh, listeners out there, Davis is your guy. After you finish giving money to us, you can go move on to. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that must be my next question. Like, where has your donations been? Guys, come on. Exactly. Um, um, yeah. And then also uh, where I know you say you don't publish a lot on your, your blog, um, but uh, for your blog, if people want to see your writing, uh, where where is that again? What's it called? Socrates and Friends, I think. It's Socrates and Friends at Word or dot WordPress.com. Okay. Also should be reasonably easy to Google. Cool. Awesome. That's fantastic. All right. Well, and Nathan, um, if people want to get in touch with you or see the stuff that you're working on and doing, where can they go? They can go to NathanClarkson.me and they can also search my name on any of the socials, Nathan Clarkson. Awesome. You can also uh, find me on any of the socials at Joseph Holmes. You can also uh, go to my website, josephholmestudios.com. Of course, we love for you, your love and hate mail, uh, all of your free speech. 
can uh, make its yes. way to uh, the overthinkers. We will not oppress any of it. We'll just delete some. Exactly. Yes. The overthinkers uh, journal.com. And of course, you can join all three of us on the Overthinkers Facebook group where we engage in lots of free speech and also some content moderation because you got to <laughs> find that line. Yeah. My line you is you guys are exercising authority to uh, exactly. promote yeah. the level of discourse. Exactly. And we haven't had to do it a lot, but we have had to do it once in a while. So, you know. Um, so, well, thank you again. Thank you so much for joining everyone here and thank you so much for listening. And remember... If it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about.